I am Berta Rojas and this is Coffee Talk. Hello and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. Our guest this week, we have with us Berta Rojas. As one of the most important classical guitarists of our time, Berta Rojas's bona fides cannot be overstated. She's been awarded several honorary doctorates, earned many awards from the government of Paraguay, her home country, and has been nominated for a Grammy for her work with Paquito de Rivera. She's also been a vocal advocate for the performing arts, founded the very first online classical guitar competition, and has been named one of the most influential women of Latin America. Berta shares some really thoughtful advice for performers and students of music with us in our discussion with her. A reminder that a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Berta Rojas. I'm Kim Furlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department and welcome to another guitar department coffee talk from Berkeley College of Music. We're here with Berta Rojas, professor of guitar. Hello, Berta. Hello, Kim. So happy to be here with you. And our assistant chair, Cheryl Bailey. Hello, everyone. Cheers. Coffee cheers. And Ian Steed. Hi, all. Cheers, everyone. Coffee cheers. Uh, Berta, I noticed you have your guitar department coffee mug today. Absolutely, yes. I brought <laughs> it home. Um, Berta, what are you drinking for coffee today? I'm drinking. I'm drinking uh, an Italian espresso. Oh. <laughs> this is amazing. You all have to made experience. In, made in Brooklyn, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many of those have you had so far? Uh, this is the second one. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Not too many today. Normally by this time, I, I already had three, so. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you. Yeah, that's the way to go. That's the way to go, Berta. You know, Cheryl, I was about to say that uh, Berta would really enjoy your new endeavor. What is it? Well, I, my little pandemic hobby, among many of them, is to roast my own coffee on the stove. So I order the green beans. Maybe... I'm going to see if I can get an endorsement with Sweet Maria's in, <laughs> in uh, Seattle. And I roast them on the skillet. And it makes a bunch of smoke. The smoke detectors go off. I put earplugs in. And it, it, smell, like it smells like a forest fire in my apartment for about two days. But then I have this amazing coffee. Wow. So <laughs> you're worried about how much you want to roast it, right? Yeah, I can only do because I only have a small little skillet. <laughs> so, but I make I can make about five days. Well, maybe three. No, depending on how much I drink, four days worth of coffee, and then I start all over again. Wow, that's, that's amazing! Wonderful. Looking forward to try that. Yes, See, I'll this, hook you up. This is one thing you can't do in the office. <laughs> you can't roast your own. Right. No. Well, you can because um, you can use a popcorn, an air popcorn. I don't want to. This show is going to be all about roasting coffee, but you no. can use a popcorn popper. 
actually. This is good. Okay, it's all about, there's a technique element in everything for musicians, <laughs> I think, right? A creative and technical element. Um, Berto, one of the ways we've started um, our conversations with everyone after our coffee discussion mm-hmm. is to ask you about what you remember about your first day at Berkeley. Oh my God, Kim, I was so intimidated, you know. Uh, <laughs> Because you see everybody at Berkeley is like really world-class and these are, you know, people that I admired. And and when I got into that office, you know, every everybody seemed like old friends. <laughs> and, you know, what, what struck me is that everybody was ready to embrace me and to embrace classical guitar. And uh, they would come and listen and ask you questions about your right hand and how do you do this and tremolo, oh my God, you can play tremolo. And they were so open uh, and so ready, you know. So uh, that's when I discovered that Berkeley had something very, very special uh, among so many things, but it's the coolness of the guitar department. You guys are really cool guys, you know. We are. You are too now. <laughs> so, Berta, you took a big risk when you came. So, um, people may not know this, but Berta came as a guest. You came as a guest one year and spent a residency with us. And then um, it was maybe a year or two later, right, when Larry and I wrote you and asked you to join. And you had to move from your country to the United States. So what were you thinking about when you made that such a big move, such a big change in your life to come to Berkeley? Well, you got that right, Kim. It was a, it was a, a big change for me. Uh, I remember writing about this and I, I, I said that I was basking in the sun, you know, <laughs> in, in Paraguay. And, and I got that, that email that would change my life, you know. Uh, but I figure also that uh, only once in a lifetime you will get a, an invitation like this you know, to come to Berkeley. So you don't think twice about it. You know? So shortly after I was, I was uh, sending you a, a, a reply saying that of course I'll be honored and delighted to join. Right? And then I came. Uh, and I, all I remember is that I told uh, Larry, Larry, how can I prepare myself you know, to be a to be of, of, of use, you know, to the school and to our students. And he just said, we just want you to be yourself. You know? And four years after, here I'm starting my, my, my fourth year at, at Berkeley, and, and I am finding that voice, you know, that, that makes sense to me, and I think that can be of, of use you know, for our students and for the guitar department, you know, the voice of the classical guitar mm-hmm. in this context that is so creative, so open, uh, so so ready, as my colleagues uh, were on the on day one, you know, to embrace classical guitar, and so are the students too. You know? mm-hmm. Berta, can you talk a little bit about the impact that this community and this environment has had on you as a player I know that you you work with some of the other faculty mm. um, that you've played with Jim Kelly. You've taken on some lessons with Randy Roos. Um, you also study composition with one of the composition faculty. So it seems like you also became a student 
as you got more and more comfortable being a teacher. So can you talk about that exchange of ideas and how it affects you as a performer and as a faculty member? I think that that is the, my favorite state of mind, you know, learning, always learning, you know. Mm. And Berkeley had given me the, the possibility to, to study uh, so many things that I wanted to. Um, so my, my analysis classes with Ala Cohen are, are amazing. And, and also my, my jazz classes with uh, Randy, you know. Of course, I have, to tell, I have to tell you that it's hard for me. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me, but I'm learning so much. I have an, a different view of the guitar now. Mm-hmm. And and I also because at Berkeley everybody writes music right, so mm-hmm. I am also starting to write my my music no, mm-hmm. uh, and so it had has given me this opportunity to be in a different in a creative state, you know, in an open state, uh, where it's important to give a voice to to composers who are immense and performers what we do is to give a voice to to those composers who, whose music is written right and it, it, it won't it won't sound unless we do that right and we try to give to to them all the 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 the, 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 the fine aspects the the classical guitarists uh, focus on you know tone projection uh, uh, articulation and phrasing and so many so many details you know but at the same time that we do that it's also beautiful to start to explore your own music, no? Mm-hmm. That that voice uh, that you have and that was, in my case, hidden, you know. <laughs> uh, and so I am just uh, going through those layers and trying to find where my my creative voice is also with the music I, I write. Beautiful, Cheryl. What's on your mind? Um. Well, in this case, I'm outnumbered by acoustic guitarists. Uh-huh. The way around. <laughs> um, and I've always, yeah, I, I just, the discipline, I mean, you know, the electric guitar is a discipline, but so oftentimes people think, oh, it's your amp or your pickups and all this stuff. But, you know, you guys are all, it's just so honest what you do. And I just wonder, how do you, um, how do you, help students develop their tone and, and develop their ear in that way to be aware of the sound that they're producing yeah. and connecting with that. Yeah. So your sound is part of, of uh, a huge part of your personality, no? Uh, and we had this discussion with, with Kim because she gave an interview in which she talked about the parameters of sound. You know? uh, we talk about that in, in, in our lessons, you know, I'm, I'm using what all the references, uh, the references that that Kim had given me with that uh, amazing interview she did, and added, adding all of that into our palette as performers, you know, and in that palette as performers, you we have so many things, you know, we have timbre, we have color, we have uh, dynamics, we have uh, uh, the attack, we have rubato, we have the tempi we decide to to play a music with, you know. So, so many things, you know. And when you just think about uh, how do you want to convey that message? What do you want to say with every single note that you play, you know? That relationship between tension and relaxation that you see so clearly in, in classical music, you know? Uh, and, and then, you know, when you decide which color, which articulation, which sound you're 
which sound you're gonna give to every note, you start to open up to the sound, you know, to the many sounds you can get out of the guitar, in connection to what your inner music wants to say about that. You know? uh, so I think that we are starting to be more aware of that with my, my students, and I can really see the results of that. They are they are getting deeper into their musicality. Yeah. You know, I have an, one other question kind of into this because the discipline, I mean, all styles and genres need this discipline. Um, but I don't know if this is some, you guys could tell me if this is some folklore that I heard, but it affected me as a kid either way. And they, it was that Segovia apparently said, so you guys can bust me if this is true or not, that he would practice two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and two hours later in the evening. Mm -hmm. And so I, I thought that was really, wow, okay, that makes sense to break up my practice time. And you know, I'm, I know all of us were practice machines when we were kids, right? Because that's, that's how we got, <laughs> that's how you get anywhere. But so I'm just curious, Berta, do you have, um, maybe talk about your own, if you have one, I'm going to guess that you have one or have had one, like a, a way that you approach practicing using your time um, and uh, how you uh, approach that with your students in terms of developing that awareness of how you use your time. Do you, do you think about it in increments of work on this or you do technique in the morning? Or yeah, I'm just really curious of how you, you, uh, you know, what your practice day is like, Basic, you know, the overview. <clears throat> well... I think that uh, it varies from day to day, no? depending on how much time I have. Yeah? But I certainly try to give some time to technique uh, so that I can warm up and, and, and start my practice. In, 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 and I use also the, the, the technique portion of my, of my practicing to kind of meditate a little bit and try to relax with the, with the instrument. Because you know? I think that's very important. You know? you're, you're, your awareness about uh, how relaxed every part of your body that's going to be in contact with the instrument is, right? Mm -hmm. And then I will go to, now I'm reading music for, for a new album that I want to record, right? Uh, and so I spend a, 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 most of my practicing time just reading this new music. And then the pieces that I, that I have already decided what I want to do with them musically, and I spend a lot of time fingering, trying to find what is the spot on the guitar where I where, where, where it will deliver better the, the musical intention that I have with every phrase. No, I spend a lot of time with that, you know, because the, the guitar gives you so many possibilities for orchestration, you know. So I'm passionate about that. I can spend hours and hours just thinking about, you know, how to make it uh, special and unique, you know, and and, and that that difference in between just playing the notes and playing the notes the way you dream of them, the way you sing them. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time in, in that. And then when I'm ready to perform, there will always be some sections in which you have trouble, right? But those sections are like five seconds of the music or 10 seconds of the music, you know? So instead of just running uh, over the piece, the, the entire piece over and over again, I just work on those sections, you know? And then when I when I found different approaches to the, to solving those problems, you know, I try to put them in, in context, right? 
Uh, and then there's one thing that I learned from, from a student of ours, Andres, you know, Andres Guerra. Andres is a, is a very precise musician. He plays very cleanly, you know, and he talks about, a lot about playing slow. And so that's something I learned from my students, you know. And I am playing really, really, really slow now, you know. Uh, and I, 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 I love that. I love that. It gives you a sense of space and room to think and to mm. breathe with music. And I like that. Mm. Ian, I think this ties really nicely into a question you always ask. So I'm setting you up. Yeah, sure. So this is a question that uh, I ask everybody and we get vastly different answers every time. But um, is there some aspect of, um, you know, someone's musicianship as they come into Berkeley as a student that maybe they're asking you X, Y, and Z. Maybe they're asking you a certain set of questions, but really maybe there's this other blind spot. And that is there something that a student might come into you and not realize that they should ask? A question that they should ask that they don't even know that they should ask. Mm. I think that <clears throat> it's good that they don't ask in, in, in a certain way. I don't get the, uh, the, the question of how to make a career with, with music. And I kind of like that I don't get that, that question asked. Uh, but because they are, they are thinking about being the musician first and then you know they'll find their niche they'll find their the audience that will embrace them right so that's a question that i don't get uh, that, that that i don't that, that i don't answer many many times in, in lessons you know how to make a career you know and mm. uh, they are the kids are not not really thinking about about that uh, and it kind of make me happy also, you know, that honesty of, of knowing that they are a, a work in process, right? Right. Yeah. I don't know if that answers, gives you an, an answer to your question. Sure, yeah. Yeah, Berta, how did you handle that yourself? How did you handle understanding and embracing that you are a work in progress and then also moving forward with your career? Mm. I think I tried to, to, to look uh, at what the, 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 the business of, of the business side of, of music is, is doing, you know? How is this evolving or not? Because <laughs> sometimes you wonder, no? Uh, and how to, to remain creative in ways to to show what we do mm -hmm. and to find a, a, a niche for, for what we do, you know? Like, for instance, when the pandemic happened and, and everybody was starting to offer their music for free, I was worried because it's so precious what we do, no? Mm -hmm. So very precious. It takes so much time. And I was thinking that in the, in the desire of sharing, we lost perspective of, of that 
things started to to become too over the, the market started to be to become overwhelmed with offers right mm. and artists were offering their precious art for free over mm. and over again you know mm. and i was worried about that you know how to share without killing your opportunities to later make a living of your mm. of your art you know So we have to always be aware of uh, how to how to show what we do, but also to protect the opportunity to generate an income with what we do. You know? Right. Uh, so when I did I did a couple of uh, uh, home sessions uh, mm -hmm. from from my house. You know, I try to do something creative. I try to use different cameras. We use three cameras. We try to use good sound, we try to, to create a little setting, even though my apartment is very small and it doesn't give me an opportunity for much, but we try try to do the, the best we could, you know, and and we had the privilege of being hired to do those two things, you know, those two concerts that I did. So, and then after that, I, I didn't think I, I wanted to do more. I think it was enough. And now I'm gonna be just quiet until I have something important to say uh, and then I'll say it again yeah. <laughs> but I don't need to we don't need to be offering constantly mm. you know right we need to find when is it when is the right moment and what is it going to be special that it requires us to to, to find that channel uh, to connect with the audience Seems sense? like you have a real intentionality, not just in everything that you do on the instrument, because it's so clear that you have such clear intentionality in when you perform through each note. And you were talking about how through every note, you're determining what do I want this one note to sound like? Mm -hmm. And it seems like you kind of brought that very intense intentionality into all of the aspects of your artistry, like when and how to even to perform? Mm -hmm. I've tried, you know, tried. <laughs> um, I was judging a competition, the Shanja International Competition this weekend, you know, a completely online competition, guitar competition. And I was thinking, reflecting that 15 years ago, I organized the very first online Competition, the very first. That's right. Ever on on the guitar. That's I right. did it with my team in, in Paraguay, you know. We did two editions of the various worldwide web competition. It was completely new in those days, you know. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a new it wasn't a new idea. I copied that right from the uh, a world orchestra that auditioned through YouTube. And now every competition we can do in times of pandemic is online, you know, and we right. did the first. So I, I like that. I like to try to, to think think ahead, you know. Mm -hmm. Also, when we started selling our music online, you know, I started selling, being my own producer and, and recording my own music and being the owner of my masters. Mm -hmm. Nobody else owns my music by me, but me, you know. Right. And I like that. Because then I have the creative power to decide what I want to record and how I want to record. Nobody decides that for me, you know. And I love that. I love to be the owner of my of my of my my vision, right? You know. 
so all those things I think are, are things that I stand for and I try to, to convey that to, to, to my students uh, yeah, as honestly as I can. Yeah. Mm. I want to ask you about another moment that I remember that was you thinking ahead. Um, many years ago, you and I met at the National Guitar Workshop. You're laughing because you remember, you know what I'm going to say. So what happened was I was teaching there, Roberto was teaching there, and we decided to do a, a big, like a concert clinic presentation. And Berta and a bass player from Brazil taught me these rhythmic patterns and we had a drummer and we had, and so we were the rhythm section and remember, and then Berta played these really famous um, classical guitar pieces by Lauro and Via Lobos. And I think Bar, did we do Barrios as well? Remember, King. It was definitely the Via Lobos and, and Loro, the, these waltzes and the choro and these. So these are pieces that are classical guitar pieces that everyone knows if you're a classical guitarist, but they're based on South American popular, like popular, like waltzes, dances, different types of popular music. And so Berta had this idea that we would have a rhythm section and we would play the traditional rhythms. And so the way the clinic went is she went and performed the pieces first as a soloist. Then she played them with the band, right? And then immediately she played them again. And all of the people who were there could hear immediately the difference, what happens when you're infused with the traditional rhythms and the traditional grooves. And it was amazing. And of course, like you do this anyway and you're playing. And so if you were to just play a concert, you would have done that in your work to prepare, but having it in real time, like where you played it more straight and then you said, okay, let's play it with the band and see. <laughs> and then she played it again and everyone was like, oh my goodness. And then we took the simplest one by Laurel and we taught, we had all of the people in the audience were guitarists and they took out their guitars so we had like 60 of them and we taught them my part and then we all played it with you it was amazing and I think it was really powerful to show people that these styles do not have to be separate mm -hmm. that classical music and traditional music popular music there are meeting places and I think it was a foreshadowing in some ways that many years later more than 10 years later, probably. Here you are at Berkeley where you're in the center of sharing styles. And so my point in telling the story is to say that for a long time, you've seen these connections. Mm -hmm. And um, were there different ways all along before coming to Berkeley that you really feel like you found those meeting places between styles and let them breathe and live in your music? And how did you do that? And all those genres are, are, are alive, Kim. Mm -hmm. like when you play a choro by Villalobos, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there are choro houses in, in Rio where you can just go and they sing all together. People sit at different tables, you know? They will start making the rhythm on their, on their tables, you know? And start singing all together and playing all together, you know? And that sensation of, of sharing with everybody, something, that genre that is very much alive. Mm -hmm. That's a connection that we classical players need to 
And that happens beautifully at Berkeley. My students mm-hmm. are playing with each other, you know, the uh, classical pieces inspire in these rhythms and they get a percussionist to play with them, you know? Right. And it's beautiful. And one more thing that is happening also is that we find, because oftentimes classical players, we don't improvise, right? Right. So we find that some composers have improvisation sections in, in their music, but written out. But what happens if you just improvise those sections instead of writing the, uh, instead of playing the written improvisation, right? Mm. So some of my students are creating their own improvisations into this music, you know. And it sounds so refreshing and so new, Kim, you know. That's amazing. So we, are t- we are taking those liberties now, you know, because we know what's going on. Before I didn't even know that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in that time, in that concert, I had the hard job because I was the American that had to learn how to play with South American rhythms. I was the North American because, you know, I just, with those offbeats, those 16th notes, I just remember sitting in that classroom with the bass player and he was just looking at me like, "Mm -mm." you know, I was up all night, every night that week. And so there are these things that if you come from different musical backgrounds, you, you they're not natural to you right away. They're not familiar. Mm-hmm. So do you have advice for students who are coming to Latin American and South American music and, and they don't feel comfortable and familiar with rhythm and improvisation is a challenge for them in that context? What's your best advice for them? Listen, listen, listen to, to the greatest players of all those genres, you know. Uh, and listen to, you know, the, everything there is, 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 is on the internet, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and also here at, at, at Berkeley, because we have the possibility of, of sharing with uh, people from all around the world, right? So if we team up with, with people from different countries and we just exper- experience our, our music, you know, uh, it gives us the possibility to, to grow. Mm. All right, I have one more question about that. And you were great, Kim, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. It worked very hard. That, Berta, just she, Kim, you got shredded by Berta, but in the most loving, kind way. <laughs> I, I know. I, I did my best. I was great. I think in the end, it actually sounded good. I think. <laughs> And I will always remember the smile we had in our faces when we did. Oh, yeah. We were so happy, didn't we? Huh? That was really fun. Students were so happy. Yeah. So finally, this is what it sounds like. <laughs> this is what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, well, I've worked on my quarter note and um, my, you know, subdivisions in double time since then. So, But that was quite an education. That was amazing week. Um, my, my follow-up question to that was, what do you say to non-classical musicians who are afraid of reading? Like, how do you help people learn how to read better on the guitar? Mm. Paquito always, always says, says this, that uh, when you, when you read, your rehearsals are short. Mm. You just run the piece once, maybe twice, just, you know, and done. 
Then you can go and grab a beer and have fun. <laughs> okay, Cheryl's laughing, so I'm handing it back over. <laughs> I know that it's that's the truth. That's really true. I think that's great. And the, and the you know many students you know especially their rock or wherever they're coming from it they're so it's a skill but there's no one has sat down with them and said you can do this just like any skill that you're going to learn i want to learn archery you know you know well i need to take some last some work with somebody and show me all the you know what i mean and i think i think you have that incredible patience and and just such an uh supportive approach i think is really important to help students get over their fear of starting to read. And I love to do it because I know that I'm teaching them a skill that it will be very useful to them. So I don't have trouble going as slow as a student need because that's also what I get you know, when I'm taking lessons. You know? mm-hmm. My teachers go as slow as I, as I need you know, in order to, to deliver. Right? So don't worry if you guys want to take a, a, a side reading class. I am there for them. <laughs> that's great. No, that's great. I think it's really good because I think I I know that it's you know if you haven't read music and you've gotten to a certain point on your instrument, like some people are you know they're really playing proficiently and they feel like oh I can't do this so they're scared of that and so that you can give the space to be like okay we're all learning this from the ground up and it's and we're gonna get there and we're gonna you know we're gonna go from here and we're gonna get there and it's gonna be okay like. <laughs> Also, when you are when you are working into more complex and longer pieces, you know your memory will fail. Yeah, so right. it's, it's it's important that that you give yourself the opportunity, you know, to have something to rely on. You know, a piece of paper helps you. <laughs> I I had a question. Um, you know, from my point of view, um, I'm always admiring classical musicians. As I said, like the whole discipline of practice and and concentration on on all these elements of tone and and expression but um performance anxiety to me that makes me you know I improvise a lot of music and thought of having to go in and read a lot of music even though I can read music makes me so nervous like to me, and I have some classical musicians friends who say, oh, if, if the producer asks them to improvise, they're sweating and like, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's the fun part. <laughs> so um, that, I really admire that discipline. And, and I always encourage my students to learn, for instance, a solo piece for their senior recital, jazz or classical or whatever, for that discipline of, of memorizing a piece and sitting down and performing it on your own or, but, but, you know, you could be, you do stuff with orchestra and record. What, do you have any techniques to deal or maybe you feel you don't get really nervous? Um, But how do you deal with that? And, you know, especially when you have a a big performance, you have a, 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 you know, a complex piece of music. Do you do anything to get yourself centered and relaxed? Um, And, how you approach that with your students as well to get them in a space where they feel confident to go out there and hit the stage and perform. I can really help them with, with <laughs> that because I've tried everything. <laughs> yeah, I, for, for me, the, the anxiety previous to performing is, is really high. You know? 
and uh, but as I as I discover, you know, share when when moving to to Boston and uh, living a life that is so quiet and peaceful and dedicated to music without noise. I find that I can connect better with my music too, you know. Uh, so I think that that uh, what we need is 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 uh, to to be able to resonate with the beauty of what we do, you know. Excuse me, with the beauty of what we do, and not feeling judged by the audience, but feel that they are ready to embrace our music, you know. And when you visualize them as, 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 as somebody that, that is giving you their time to listen because they want to be filled with the, the joy of sharing, then that anxiety starts to, to melt away. You know? uh, some things that I do, I try to, to stand in, in my, my concert shoes. I always try, try to have uh, like my, my special concert shoes. I remember uh, when I was going to play in London with Maestro John Williams. It's not that, that I want to brag about it, but it's, it's, this is a, 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 a chance to tell you. So I, I, I decided that I was going to give myself a very special pair of shoes. You know, So I went to, to Harrods and, and bought a really beautiful set of shoes, You know, pair of shoes. Uh, yeah. And so I remember the act of leaving my the shoes that brought me to the to the place to the uh, Shakespearean Globe. Imagine where where I was going to play with him, you know. And I thank those shoes, <laughs> and then I wore my my concert shoes, you know. And I I try in in that moment, you know, to to really thank for for the opportunity to. To wear those shoes, yeah? and try to to really uh, envision myself as, as the artist that worked so hard to to be on that moment, you know, and that the opportunity to enjoy, you know. So that's what I try to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Try to really thank, be thankful for the opportunity, uh, wear my concert shoes, and then go on stage. I think that's be- that, that's a really beautiful story, and it I mean it says a lot about you treated yourself mm-hmm. to something mm-hmm. special mm-hmm. because you've arrived at this moment and it was a celebration. But mm-hmm. and and thinking about that about your audience is there to celebrate with you, not to judge you. Mm-hmm. We always turn it into this, you know, you're going to go out into a room full of haters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. No one goes to a concert for that they come to a concert because they want to hear you play and to remember that so I, I think that's that's a really beautiful story and just about the ritual and and the symbolism of all of that is, is that's really beautiful thanks for sharing that that's great <laughs> I also love that that you're you're all talking about when both of you are talking about this you're talking about gratitude and fear and discomfort all mixed together with all the work that you're doing on your artistry, because I think it's so normal. Like Cheryl, you were saying, you know, I could go out and improvise. And I think many people who, who have that as their core of their language, they feel like put me anywhere, I could do that. But if I have to read something, like forget it. If I have to memorize something, I'm done. 
coming from where we come from, Berta, it's the opposite. You know, like I could go out on, on stage by myself and play my program, but if I had to walk out and improvise, it's really hard. And I think those are two of the deepest fears that are connected with judgment. Because as you said, Cheryl, you come so far on your instrument. And then there's something that makes you feel like a beginner that's so prominent. And I feel as though we see that so much at Berkeley because we have people coming from every direction. And then I feel like we're all trying to come together and, and embrace that and just say, let's be comfortable being uncomfortable and be thankful for where we are in our artistry and then not be afraid if you want to, if you're called to do the other thing, you can be a beginner and it doesn't mean you're less. And I've met so many students that have come in that they really want to fill those gaps and, and is it fear that stops them, you know? And so I think this is really important to have this conversation, um, especially about those two fears. I feel like one of my students one time, he said that I had a class and it was initially called Contemporary Classical and Improvisation. We had changed the title of the class and no one signed up. No one, not one person signed up. And there was an accompaniment class called Spontaneous Composition and it was full. And so the student came in and he said, I'm very interested in your class, but I'm afraid of it. I said, well, you're not afraid of the other class, right? And he goes, oh no, not really. And I said, well, why not? Doesn't that sound scary too, like spontaneous composition? And he said, well, it's the difference between a general fear and specific fear. And he goes, you know, classical improvisation, it's like spider clown, two incredibly scary, terrifying things. And spontaneous composition is more like, you know, heights. Like, I'm okay with being afraid of heights, but spiders and clowns really scare me. And so <laughs> I said to him, well, okay, we'll change the title. And he goes, well, okay, in the meantime, I'm gonna tell everybody not to be scared. And the next day the class was full and then we retitled it modern writing. And it's been full ever since, because I think he was correct that there's something about reading and being alone on stage and then improvising. Those are terrifying things. And I think you both have sort of laid out why it's okay to be scared of them. And then also you can embrace them if you want to have that in your music. So I appreciate that. That's very true. Um, Ian, and also oh, go ahead. buy shoes at Harrods in London. <sighs> buy really nice shoes. Yeah. That'll make the gig go great. <laughs> it did, didn't it? I mean, that gig was amazing, right? That gig was amazing. You know what was really spectacular, Kim? Uh, that is a candle, candlelight concert series, no? Mm. They have so many candles that they, they light especially for you for the sound check so that you see how much light you will have. They turn all, all the candles off, you know, oh and they light them up again for the beginning of the concert, then change every candle for the second half, you know. Wow. And they have a person wearing all the, the, the protective gear, you know, for, for fire, right, uh, that takes care of the candles. That's 
her job was wow. Amazon, you know, taking care of, of every candle in the room, you know. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Ian, you must have a lot of thoughts going through your mind as a traditional player who also improvises. And what are you thinking about? Well, I mean, I never really did classical guitar. I, I faked it when I was in community college. I learned a couple pieces. Uh, but, you know, I, I did a lot more jazz, but I guess it's it's interesting because I'm trying to like straddle that right now um, and change how you improvise because it seems like there's so much in jazz that's like very much like, you know, you work on some, you know, harmonic vocabulary or like, ways of going through the changes but like then you've got you know classical improvisation but um i guess lately i've i've been working more toward like if you take a tune actually it's <laughs> but if you take a tune like that's like all eighth notes like a fiddle tune personally like i've just been um like taking notes out and then changing the rhythm of it so it's the same tune but it's just uh like you can make syncopation in there by um, like subtraction of notes, which is, which is fun. But in terms of just like what y'all were talking about um, with like the fear, I think it's really funny that, you know, there's this one side of education that's full of the fear of improvising. And then this other that's afraid of the reading. I think Berkeley is like a really fascinating place where everybody's sort of shoved into the same fishbowl. And, um, you know, that you like realistically, like Berta, like all of your students, I'm sure they all do improvise because of where they're going. Right. <laughs> and all the ensembles, um, at Berkeley are, have some element of improv improvising likely. Right. That's the one part in which they don't have any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Berta, what advice do you have as we're thinking together about moving forward at Berkeley with classical music as part of our department and then with all of these other styles? Now that you've been here for four years, do you have some advice for us as we're working together to move forward or do you have some hopes of things you'd like to see in the department? I think that, that the openness that, that we have is, is, is refreshing, you know. And what I, what I see in, in the students that, uh, that have been going through, through this process of learning classical as well as other style is that I see this approach to a more universal musician. One that will move more easily in between styles, you know, and I think that that Berkeley is superb for that. Uh, where else in the world you're gonna have what you have here? Yeah, the possibility of going to Tim Miller, to Tomo, to 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 Mike, to Larry, to Cheryl, you know, and they are all there for the students, you know. Uh, and I think that they need to know also how beautifully Tarrega was able to write and orchestrate for the guitar. Or how clever Sor was mm -hmm. using form and, and, and the harmonic uh, possibilities or, or 
be able to play that music with uh, knowledge of styles. You know, we, the other day we had Hopkins and Smith coming here in, a, in one of our lessons, you know. He's the, the, uh, one of the world's more famous uh, uh, lute players, you know. And he came to listen to one of our students play a couple of Qurans from back uh, suites, right? Uh, and these are students that, that have been playing all different styles and, <laughs> and one semester they decided that they want to play classical, you know, and they are playing, but with such level of, of depth, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it's, it's really just, we just need to keep doing what we do, I think. You know? mm-hmm. It's great. I think it's great. <laughs> Cheryl, do you have some... Uh... Final thoughts as we start to wrap it up. Just, um, Berta, thanks for sharing. I, I really, I love that story about the concert and and your thoughts about approaching performance and and practicing. And uh, I'm going to go practice now. I'm inspired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank I, you. <laughs> I, I think you've brought a lot of um, reminders of gratitude to the department since you've been here. I think you've brought um, a real joy. You have a joy when you come in. Um, Of course, often you bring the cookies as well. (laughs) You bring the amazing ginger cookies that everyone loves. But beyond the cookies, um, I think you've brought a sense of gratitude about the fact that we get to be together and do this together. And it's a good reminder because so much of the work that we have to do is hard. And yet it's such a privilege to get to do it. So thank you for doing that in our department. Thanks for reminding us of that. And thank you for that email that changed my life, Kim. Thank you so much. It was our pleasure. We were so, we were crossing our fingers (laughs) that you would accept. That's always how it goes, right? Like, we were worried you would turn us down. You were hoping we would ask. So thank you so much. We are so grateful for you. Um, Ian, do you have a last thought? Yeah, I think uh, I think that the level of intentionality that you bring to that, to like all aspects of it, both in like the playing, but also these like decisions you make. Yeah, the intentionality is, I think, like a really important Thing to that you can learn from Berta Rojas at Berkeley. <laughs> well, thank you, Berta, for being with us. Coffee cheers to Coffee everyone. Cheers. <laughs> thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Ian. Thank and you. we'll see all of you next time on the next Coffee Talk. Go practice. Go buy some good shoes and go practice. <laughs>